Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together, we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. On today's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, will COVID-19 cancel Major League Soccer? It's an MLS-centric counterattack with Jake Watroba and... Is every team but LAFC a dark horse to win MLS's back tournament? I'm Steven Jodderan, and this is Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Listeners, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star review and follow us at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod on Twitter. We love your comments, your feedback, your questions, so continue to send them in. Now, let's get to today's episode. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. All righty, listeners, welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. You got the whole gang here. Jake, Justin, myself, at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Jake, I didn't think we'd be talking about COVID again, but that's what we're going to do. Water's I, wet. <laughs> Water's wet, baby. Uh, isn't it? Uh, it's so crazy. I mean, we literally on our verge of return of sports here in this country. I mean, yes, you got MLS playing. Yes, you got the NWSL, who have wrapped up. Uh, their tournament, but you got the NBA around the corner. You got MLB going on. You got football training camp around the corner. Hockey's coming back, and uh, COVID is also coming back. I want to tell our listeners if you want to do something that will make you feel—I don't even know what the right, if weird is the right word—go back in like your Twitter timeline or even our Twitter timeline if you want to go back like eight months and just look at some of like the just the things we were tweeting about. It just feels like a different world. Ah, uh, Justin. I mean, I don't know. It, it it feels weird, right? Like every day is a new day and every day there's different news breaking and it feels like we're on a different trajectory every other day. Yeah, I mean, I I think every day kind of just starts to feel well, I think everybody feels every day is kind of repetitive at this point, but I guess with the return of sports and the COVID cases kind of popping up in each team's little bubble, it's something new to look at. It's not great news, but I mean, it's kind of what happens when you don't follow protocol, I guess. So yeah, I suppose. And listeners at Unc Sam Soccer Pine, we're gonna begin, uh, Jake, with your beloved baseball because Major League Baseball is having an absolute meltdown and crisis at the moment. Yeah, MLB might be ruining sports for us this fall with the way they are handling COVID nineteen. If you haven't heard. Uh, 17 
staff members, that's 15 players and two coaches, as of Tuesday morning, had tested positive for COVID-19 on the Miami Marlins following their series against the Philadelphia Phillies, Stephen and Justin. Wild. 15 players, two coaches. <laughs> They're, that is half of their active roster that's... right now. They are... Major League Baseball is carrying 30 players on their active roster, which is four more than they normally would, and that's half of their half of their roster is down for the count with COVID-19. Jake, you gonna go uh, play some baseball for the Florida Marlins? If they call you up, I, uh, Derek Jeter, if you're listening, I'm ready. I got my glove. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, here's the timeline, Justin. July 6th, Fourth of July, testing delayed for many teams. Thursday, Juan Soto gets positive diagnosis hours before opening night. Friday, the Braves lose both catchers on opening day. Friday, Matt Davison plays for Reds between test and positive results. Sunday, the Marlins play despite four positive cases. That's good news. That's exactly what you should do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Monday, Marlins hit outbreak level with 13 positive tests. Jake... Justin, I, I didn't think it could get worse. Monday, the F- Phillies quarantine after the Marlins series. Nationals on Tuesday vote not to go to Miami. Uh, and then uh, we get this news that the Marlins paused their season. Four more positive tests. Uh, and, uh, and this was uh, put together by Mike Oz from Yahoo Sports. This is worrying on every level. And listeners, we're recording this Tuesday night. Uh during the Minnesota Columbus Crew game, so by the time that this episode's out, I guarantee you there'll be more news. But Justin, you're not the biggest baseball guy, but just reacting to the news on, on what's happening with the Florida Marlins, this has to be concern for every sports fan, athlete, front office executive, league commissioner, reporter, you name it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of nuts that that many players and I mean, players and coaches tested positive for one team. Um, and especially because, I mean, even if you look at what MLS is doing in their bubble, you know, the players are tested before games and they have test results saying whether or not they're positive or negative. So if something does come back positive, um, they're not going out and playing the game that night uh, just so that they don't spread the disease. And I think it's it's odd that MLB kind of let that many players slip through the uh, cracks with positive tests to then play a game against the Phillies. And now it kind of just disrupted the entire schedule they had in mind. Well, I will say baseball has a kind of a wonky protocol here when they do. It's not like MLS where you do a test and then your test gets walked probably down the hallway to some doctor or somebody in the lab that does the test for you and results in a couple hours. I believe Every test, once it's taken by uh, Major League Baseball, by, by any of these clubs, I believe the test is like FedEx to Salt Lake City to some laboratory, and they do the test there. And obviously, they got to fly those or ship those tests to Utah. There's going to be a day or two lag time. I think the Phillies, because of the close contact with the Miami Mar- uh, Marlins, are having their tests done while they're in quarantine here this week. I think those tests are being done at Rutgers, if I'm not mistaken. I read that. So the, 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 the protocol Major League Baseball ha- that has in place is, is not great. And another league whose protocol doesn't really seem to be working all that well is USL League One, as they are struggling with an outbreak of their own. 
at sock takes on Twitter says there were three to four positive tests on Greenville's roster after the Richmond Greenville match. Three of those players took part in the match. Richmond. Oh, that's, ho- oh. that's good. That's that's exactly <laughs> what it's exactly what you should do is play it's the a great pro- players. It's a great protocol. Yes. That have COVID. That's that's good. Now, what I think almost what makes this even worse is that baseball is almost like a socially distanced game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Soccer, you're, you're running into people. Right. Baseball. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Richmond, they were uh, set to play at, uh, Tormenta FC three days after the Greenville match. And our uh, friend Jason Weintraub at Home Sweet Soccer said, uh, saying multiple positive tests have popped up for multiple teams, but no names have been released. This is a bleep show for USL, Justin. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. And I mean, I was just looking on Twitter now, and Jeff Reuter from The Athletic um, said uh, USL testing results from the week of July 13th to July 20th came back, and four players across four championship clubs uh, two from league from League One sides have tested positive. So not only is it now League One, but it's also the championship. So you've got both USL leagues kind of popping up with positive COVID tests um, after allowing this kind of – it's not necessarily traveling the entire country like they usually do for regular season, but like this confined regional group stage kind of thing. And even then they're still popping up with positive tests. Right. And uh, quick correction, it's Miami Marlins, not the Florida Marlins. I said Florida. Speaking of another league, the NFL were a week, days away from training camp. My beloved New England Patriots, six key players opt out of the, the season. I'm sure more names will drop. The question really is, is what is MLS thinking? Like, question of the day, what should MLS do here? Should they move on with their 18-game regular season? I think it's 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 hard to justify that they should at this point because even though it's minimal with U- USL, we've seen that both of that uh, both League One and the Championship, and now the MLB who are traveling, have all had positive tests pop up. So I guess the concern would then be if something like FC Dallas or Nashville happened again how do you remove an entire team from the regular season or, you know, like how do you take two weeks of an already condensed schedule to allow for quarantining? How do you reschedule a rescheduled schedule? Like, it, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of just crazy things that can happen. If, if somebody, if a few players and coaches test positive for this. Um, and even though they've been in the bubble for this long, I mean, even the Canadian teams are kind of stuck in Canada playing each other for the first or for phase one of this kind of um, this remodeled schedule yeah, for the regular yeah. season. And w- the the funny thing is we were going to talk about this modified regular season on an episode in the next you know couple of days. It's kind of hard to actually talk about the modification of this rescheduled season because I don't even know if it's going to be played. I mean, if you're a player right now down in Orlando and you see – that it's not just MLB, but it's USL, multiple leagues in this country who are traveling, doing some sort of travel, are are showing positive for COVID. How do you not sit there and go to the league, going like you expect us to play? Yeah, I, I mean, Stephen, I I think 
what is happening in Major League Baseball is definitely a wake-up call for MLS. It's definitely a wake-up call for the NFL. I mean, we've seen I mean, your Patriots saw six players. I mean, they, I think they were all key players, if I'm not mistaken, all drop out today of the NFL yep. season. So I don't, I don't know how Major League Soccer is going to be able to resume their regular season in home markets, you know, three weeks from now, four weeks from now. I mean, maybe there's the argument of, look, maybe the cases of COVID are going down in the country and maybe there's a little less likelihood that players will uh, contract the virus and we won't have an outbreak like we saw with FC Dallas or Nashville. But if I am an MLS fan and even as an NFL fan and Major League Baseball fan, I'm a little wary that these seasons are going to be completed um, as intended. Jake, you, uh, Jake, you and I were were texting each other uh, this afternoon, and um, the news from from MLB came out, and you and I instantly texted each other within seconds apart. Uh, yeah, uh, it's likely the NFL won't play. Like, I, I we just don't see it, and I, I just don't understand how players are going to move forward with this. I mean, are they are they just going to block it out, saying like, well, it's not going to happen to us? I mean, maybe. I mean, like I said, the only look, I mean, I, I put it at a 60% chance that MLS finishes their season. And that, and that includes regular season playoffs, MLS up whole, the whole nine yards there. I put it about 60% that they actually complete it. I guess I'm kind of banking on the fact that maybe the cases are going down by the end of August and this isn't as rampant as it is right now where it's spiking uh, like it is out West and in the South and, Kind of like how things were in June, where in New Jersey, New York, and Justin, you can speak to this because you live in that area. Cases were on the way down in June, and it was a little bit more tamed down than it was in March and April. So I look at it from that perspective and think there's an outside chance. But there's also a part of me that thinks the NHL, the NBA, the WNBA is going to be the last competitive, going to be the last sports we see on North American soil, or at least U.S. soil, with the exception of the NHL, I guess, they're in Canada. They might be the last sports we see until January. Yeah, and I think one of the things you can kind of give to MLS if they do go through with the regular season is that um, MLS and NWSL both were the first to kind of come up with this bubble idea. And so they had to kind of go through the rough patches and figure out what worked and what didn't. And so I guess if you're looking at this and trying to figure out whether traveling for uh, professional sports can work, you can look at MLB and the USL leagues and kind of say, well, they hit some bumps, but, you know, have we figured out ways to counteract these? It kind of just like learning from other people's mistakes. But then the other thing is too, if you're still traveling in the midst of a pandemic, what is going to convince players like Carlos Vela and Jonathan Dos Santos to say, okay, yeah, now I want to play after saying they didn't want to go to Orlando to play because of the pandemic, you know, like I don't see how players who, who opted out of this, you know, bubble tournament, MLS is back tournament to just say, okay, yeah, now I'll play, especially when traveling's involved. Yeah. And very late disclaimer here. We're not doctors. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not going to know. We don't know what's going to happen in a week from now. So we're just spitballing here, but I think it's an interesting conversation to be had. And in, and and it's one that I think, Every sports radio show, every sports journalist is asking 
athlete, coaches, front offices, league executives are all asking is what's going to happen. And, and fellas, I want to end here. I wouldn't be surprised if MLS takes longer period of time to figure out what they want to do with this regular season. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if there are tweaks to it. Maybe they do another tournament like this or some sort of tournament format. Maybe it's more Champions League-like where it's more you play every team twice in the group or something. And, and remember, Nashville and FC Dallas haven't played. They have to make up those three games that they missed uh, due to the group stage. Yeah, Stephen, that's an, that's an interesting thought. Almost like a regionalized bubble, if you will, where you have a, a few, te- four, six teams or however many in a bubble, and you just play those teams in one hub city, and then whoever has the top, you know, finishes with the top two or top three, they advance the playoffs, and then you have your one-off playoff games. I mean, that's that's the way they could do it. I, although, I mean, we're about, like I said, three or four weeks away from when we expect the regular season to start, and I'm not sure if they can pull those strings together to to make a, you know, four, five, six different hub cities work in such a short period of time. Uh, I think it's just going to be tough. I, I don't I don't think if they do go against the regular season or if they ended up canceling it, they'll go with another tournament. I think MLS is back will be the extent of what we see if the regular season is canceled. Because at that point, I just I feel like it's just safer and, and better at just to call it quits for 2020. Let everybody just stay home and, and stay away from the virus and any potential opportunity to catch it and just prep for 2021. Let's talk about some soccer. I think that's what we're really dying to talk about. Let's talk about the round 16 and give you our recap so far with the counterattack. Fast-paced, shifty movement, brilliant skill. It's the counterattack with Jake Wittrobo. Alrighty, boys, it's the counterattack time here on Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast with yours truly. It's Justin's first counterattack. I'm excited. So, Justin, you will always remember your first. I just want you to know that. <laughs> so let's dive right in. Let's talk a little Orlando City Montreal impact. Orlando's run continues after beating Thierry Henry and the Montreal Impact thanks to a Tesho Akindeli goal in the 60th minute. Orlando City under Oscar Perea are 2-1-2 and two in the season. A third win if you count the round of 16 victory over the Impact and have made it to the quarterfinals of the MLS is Back tournament. They now have a date with the Buzzsaw known as LAFC in the quarterfinals. Now, guys, let's start with Justin. Has Oscar Pereja fixed Orlando City? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think Whoa. in five games, he's he's given them an identity that three coaches before him couldn't give them in five years. I mean, Nani's playing out of his skin. Um, Chris Mueller scoring goals. Jackson, Jackson Mendez and Oriel Rossell are both, you know, a pretty dynamic midfield duo. And I think even a left back in Juan Moutinho, who, like, We've seen since he's been drafted has always kind of been weak in terms of his defensive quality and even not great going forward, but he seems like he's really improved under Pereja. The whole team is just finally gelling together. For for the most part, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's the same squad that they had last season. 
Oscar Pereira has come in with intensity. But it's not a news flash to anybody because he did the same thing with FC Dallas for all those years. I don't know if it was expected for them to do well, but I think there was an expectation for them to be a better club than they were last year. Now, guys, quickly here. I saw an Orlando newspaper throw this out there. Was their win over the Impact the biggest win in franchise history, Steven? I don't know. I mean... Yes or no? Yes no, or no? No, no, no. Sorry, no. Justin? No, it's not. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It's hard for me to put any value on this tournament to say whether or not a victory... Like, what what, what a victory in this tournament Win, win some silverware. Win not some... even win some silverware. If this was Make an actual playoffs. playoff win, then yeah, it'd be <laughs> okay, a huge fair win. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. How about getting right, into the playoffs for Orlando? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's move on here. Let's talk a little Philly and New England. Despite creating chances, the Rebs fell short to the Union. Sergio Santos finished in a tight window in the 63rd minute. Now, Justin, this question is for you. What does this type of hard-fought win mean for the Union and MLS? And Steven, what are your biggest takeaways from the Rebs? Let's start with you, Steven. What are your biggest takeaways on the Rebs' performance? I'm taking this question as the tournament, the takeaway from the tournament, not necessarily from the game. And I think with Bruce Serena, he's still trying to figure things out. This is clearly seen by the fact that he's tried three different right-wingers starters in the Revolution's opening five matches. But defensively, they're they're looking good. They conceded two goals in four games, but they can't score. They, they, they're just, I don't know, they're missing Charles Gill in the middle. Obviously, Gustavo Bo, who I've, I have a great admiration for, has played well, but he's missing he's missing somebody around him. So I think it's 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 a work in progress. It's a step in the right direction. Um, and I'll leave you with this. Uh, talk about scoring problems. They ended the tournament scoreless in their final 219 minutes. Big yikes. Where was Gustavo Bo for your men, Steven? Now, Justin, I want to get your take. What does this me- uh, win mean for the Union and MLS? I think it means that the Union are capable of scraping out uh, wins, even against teams that are really pushing them and kind of edging them in, in the offensive front. Um, I mean, they've got players like Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson who are linked with moves to Europe. And it, it's no surprise because the two homegrowns have really excelled at this tournament and were excelling with Philadelphia towards the end of last season too. Um, I, I just think it, it, it should scare a few teams in, in the regular season when they go to Philly or when Philly comes to their own stadium that uh, they know they're going to have a hard time breaking them down and that they're going to face a team that's really going to scrap with them. Is Mark McKenzie staying during, I guess, the next several months with his link to Celtic? I would imagine he'd probably only leave in January. I'm not sure if, you know, there's anything moving right now, but he probably wouldn't leave until January. He, he, I mean, in some, in some moments of that game versus the Revolution, he looked like a man playing among boys. Yeah, he's he's really come uh, a long way from what he was when he first started playing for the Union until now. Yeah, the Union have a couple guys linked 
uh, to some clubs in Europe. I and mean, Brendan Aronson, too, might be a guy who could be on the on his way out here in the next 12 months. But, guys, let's keep things moving here. Let's talk about Justin's favorite team, wink, wink. Uh, NYCFC had just two goals all season and started with four straight losses before beating Inter-Miami in the final group stage game. NYCFC then snuck into the round of 16 after rival... New York Red Bulls lost 2-0 to FC Cincinnati. All that to say, NYCFC dominated Toronto FC, winning 3-1. How did Ronnie Dela's How did Ronnie Dela figure out what he wanted from his team in such a short turnaround from the group stage, Justin? I think it's really interesting cuz you know, we were looking at their lineups in previous games and it seemed like Ronnie Dela hadn't figured out what his best 11 looked like yet. And then he rolled one set of players out against Miami, got the win over Miami, looked good when they did it too, and then said, okay, I'm going to stick with it going into the Toronto game. And it looked even better against Toronto than it, than it did against Miami. Given the the setup with James Sands and Alex Ring uh, kind of playing as a double pivot might have... Um, worked a little bit better in terms of what Toronto's weaknesses were. I mean, we saw James Sands just dominate Michael Bradley the entire game. But I think Dela's figured out the formation and the personnel that he wants to rock with when it comes to, you know, important games and, and for the rest of the season. Justin, w- was this a case Toronto was just poor? Like, despite NYCFC winning this game and obviously having a very rocky first several matches, doesn't this say more about Toronto than it did NYCFC? Well, I, I guess you could take it with a grain of salt because you have to remember, too, they weren't playing with an out-and-out striker. You know, Pasuelo was playing as like a false nine because Akinola was out with a hamstring injury and Altador was on, on the bench. He's been on the bench since the start of the tournament. And I thought, thought it was odd that Patrick Mullins didn't at least get a start. I know he's like a reputation for being a yeah. super sub, but you have two out-and-out strikers who, who are healthy, so it just seemed kind of weird that neither of them really started ahead of Pozuelo, or at least ahead of the the young kid Nelson, and then had Pozuelo back in midfield. Um, but no, I think it just it just reinforced the idea that Toronto's defense, especially with Omar Gonzalez, is lacking. He was and, poor. And they need to find another center back. Yeah, he, he, he was, was. He was very, poor in this very game. poor. He was poor in the game. He was poor in the game before too. Uh, my take on this guy is quickly here before we talk about SKC Whitecaps. I think we might be sleeping a little bit on NYCFC. I get they had a bad run of form there, four straight losses. But let's not forget, this is one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So I think uh, while Toronto may have played poorly, I think we're ignoring the fact that NYCFC is a pretty talented uh, side themselves. So, But let's move on. Let's talk SKC Whitecaps. The storyline was Tim Malia. Melia has now won all five of the penalty kick shootouts in his professional career, establishing himself as one of the top PK stopping artists between the posts. Melia has also saved 10 of 24 penalty kicks he's faced in MLS regular season play. The Whitecaps were massive underdogs going into this match. Now, Steven, were SKC lucky to not get beaten by the underdog Whitecaps? <laughs> yes. SKC was lucky not to get beaten by Whitecaps. They held the ball for 62% of the match. They had 29 shots. But I guess what's important when it comes to shots on target, SKC had 7, Vancouver had 5. 
So you can hold all the ball, you can take as many shots, but if you don't put them on target and put them away, it means nothing. Um, but I, again, this is another team in which people thought they, they were going to kind of get out of the group, no problem. And, you know, they were very much the favorite versus Vancouver. They they grind this match out. They they go through the penalties. There's some sort of confidence building with this team, right? It's it's what we just talked about. It's grinding out those matches, that Philadelphia Union type feel where you can grind these matches out. That has that has a powerful effect in tournament football because you carry that momentum on to the next game. Yeah, if this game ended 1-0 SKC, I'd say yeah, they were lucky, but or I'm sorry, I'd say no, they weren't lucky because they deserved it. But in a penalty shootout, anything's possible. And I'd 100% agree that SKC were very lucky not to get duped by Vancouver like uh, like Chicago were. And, and think about what the, the narrative, how it changes on SKC. Now that they beat Vancouver, they're in the quarterfinals. A team that people thought, ah, you know, could make some noise in this tournament. You know, they're always a team in the West that you don't want to play. It's very fascinating now they run up against Philadelphia. It can go either way in the quarterfinals for these two teams. Yeah, you guys, and I think you could also argue with how much SKC dominated play. They may have been the unlucky team having that game go to penalties. You you can argue that they probably should have won that game maybe handedly with the, just the amount of pressure they were able to apply to SKC. But we're going to keep things out west. We're going to talk San Jose RSL. Uh, San Jose rolled past RSL 5-2 Monday night. Matias Almeida's men are quietly flying under the radar, scoring 11 goals in four games with their pressing style. Will they be able to continue their form in the Orlando Heat, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I think this game against RSL, they looked more lively than they did tired. And, you know, after a match like this, it, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they were feeling, you know, their fuel was running low, but a massive win like this and just in the fashion that they did it, I I would be really concerned if I was, you know, Minnesota, even given their history, facing these guys in the quarterfinals. I I don't... Uh, this is about momentum. They clearly have momentum. Jay just kicked ass against RSL. I don't know if that, that carries over against Minnesota because San Jose lost to Minnesota 5-2 in March. And they're playing four days after. It's it's a quick turnaround for these clubs. But in that Orlando Heat playing every couple days, that, that eventually catches up. Yeah, I mean, depth will definitely be a question here for the, the Quakes. That's, that's, Justin, do you think they, they have the depth? Tested. Do San Jose have the depth? Yeah. I, I mean, I think they've shown it. Like they brought Wondolowski and Rios off the bench uh, last game, and those are two players that probably would walk into some MLS teams, if not most. Um, just based off their quality. Um, I I think they've got, you know, and it seems like all the players are, are bought into the system. They're committed to Almeida. I think Tommy Thompson would, would kill a man if Almeida asked him to. So, you know, when you've got that type of backing from your from your entire team, you know, in a tournament-style uh, game like this, uh, I really wouldn't be the one trying to go against them. Tommy Thompson would kill a man if Almeida asked him to. That's a that's a great great line there from Justin. I'm not even trying to segue off of that, anyways. But I'm gonna try my best. Good boy, uh, Defending Supporter Shield champs LAFC rolled past defending MLS Cup champs Seattle Sounders 4-1 behind a Diego Rossi brace. 
two-part question here. We'll start with Justin. Are LAFC better than they were last year? And Steven, in an 18-game regular season, could they go undefeated? Let's start with Justin. I think they're better in attack in terms of depth, but I've kind of told you guys before, I, I think defensively they're very lackluster. I don't like Vermeer as a goalkeeper. I don't like Cisniega as a goalkeeper. I think they're both, even for MLS standards, just very below par. Um, I think that Diego Palacios is still acclimatizing to the league and gets exposed a lot when he gets too far forward. Um, Eddie Segura and Tristan Blackman are really their only two competent defenders, in my opinion. But when you've got the firepower they, that they do and the ability to just keep the ball in your opponent's half and scare the living out of, you know, the MLS Cup holders the way they did yesterday against the Sounders, you, you almost think defensive issues aren't a problem because the other team isn't going to be able to get that far down the field to score. We've already talked about it. That defensive issue with Walker, without Walker Zimmerman, I mean, they're missing a Walker Zimmerman on that back line. So it's interesting. But Jake, 18 game on Bean, it wouldn't surprise me if they did it. It really wouldn't. It's 18 games. We're not asking for 34, 36 games. It's 18. You don't think uh, Portland or the Houston Dynamo may have put something on tape for some teams to see on how, how to deal with LAFC? I mean, we thought the Dynamo did, right? But the Dynamo also surrendered that three nothing lead. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the the offensive firepower of LAFC. Justin, gun to your head. Let's say we do have a regular an eighteen game regular season. Would LAFC go undefeated? Yes or no? No. I, I agree. No, I'm on the no bandwagon as well. All right. Last but not least, we're going to talk about the. Uh, our last game here, we are recording this during the Portland FC Cincinnati game, so you will not get our reaction to that match. I'm sure Portland will win, so I'm sure I just sprinkled a little Jake Pixie dust on there, and you, <laughs> we will be waking up tomorrow with FC Cincinnati. Moving on to the quarterfinals, and Justin's bracket will be busted just like Steven and I's, but we're going to talk Minnesota United Columbus crew. The crew lose to Minnesota United on PK's 5-3. This question is for both of you. We will start with Steven. Are Minnesota United now a dark horse to win MLS is back? I don't I guess. I mean, I feel like we've we said that with SKC, uh, NYCFC, Philadelphia. I mean, is there a team that we haven't said is a dark horse? Cincinnati. Can't, can't be wrong. <laughs> hey, 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 you can't be wrong if you don't say them all, right? Well, seriously, I mean, I feel like every team that we've mentioned, oh, well, they could potentially win it. Well, yeah, they, they could. I mean, it's um, MLS, it's a, it's, it's a crapshoot, right? Right, well, but that's the thing. It's like, I think the bigger takeaway with Minnesota United is like they're, they're moving in the right direction, right? Your big concern was that they look lackluster and they look boring, they look bland in the group stage. Well, they did what they had to against Columbus. You're not going to really remember how how they looked against Columbus. You're going to care that they moved on. If they can sneak into the semifinals, get past San Jose, uh, yeah, it would be a good step to, to show, as you mentioned uh, months ago, that Minnesota is one of the better, if not top five teams in this league. I did say they were top three in the okay, West. Okay, top three. I, I was trying to, to give them. you some grace. I just also want to. I also want to put it put it out there too that. If there is no regular season, 
And if Minnesota United win the tournament, they'd be the first team in MLS history to finish the season undefeated. So I just kind of want that to be known. So, uh, Justin, let's go to you. What are your What's your take on this discussion here? Are they a dark horse to win the tournament? I don't – I mean, considering their pedigree, yeah, but I feel like they're in the same boat as San Jose in terms of being a dark, ho- uh, dark horse because, you know, they're both good teams who have kind of found some momentum in this tournament now and – and, you know, this win over the crew is huge, especially because Adrian Heath really kind of put on a, a tactical masterclass in a sense with Yan Greg, who's just completely shutting down um, Columbus's midfield and, you know, forcing this game to penalties. You know, when you win a game like this against who was a tournament favorite outside of LAFC. But, Justin, let me just pause you there. I mean, but Minnesota had the lead. You do have to be a little bit concerned, like they surrender a lead late like that's not good that's not what you want in tournament football I mean in some sense they almost got lucky that they didn't lose in the PK shootout yeah no 100% but and I don't I, I'm not saying Minnesota's a dark horse to win the tournament yes but I'm not saying they will because they're on yeah, the side yeah, of the yeah. bracket where where they have to face LAFC and if there's a game where a really compact and team is going to get exposed it's going to be against LAFC they just have to, and that's if LAFC make the semifinal, of course, because Orlando could pull off some more magic and potentially cause an upset there. But um, I don't, I don't see Minnesota winning the tournament even with this win. Are they a dark horse? Yeah, because um, they're not. I don't think they're a favorite. They're at this not point. a favorite. There you have it. That's that's a counterattack. That's it. We're done. Alrighty, boys. Uh, according to five thirty eight, LAFC is the favorite. Uh, we don't know result of Portland FC Cincinnati. I don't know how much this is going to change the probabilities here, but can you guys guess who is second favorited by 538 right now to win MLS's back tournament? San Jose. Wrong. Jake? Um, I feel like the obvious answer is Portland, but... I don't think it's Portland. I'm Give me an to, answer. Come on. I'm gonna go Philadelphia. Ah, close. Uh, San Jose was fourth favorite. Philadelphia was third favorite. It's NYCFC, the team that snuck into the round of 16 because the Red Bulls lost 2 nothing, are now the second favorite team to win this tournament. My goodness how things can turn around. Anyway, listeners, at Unc Sam's Soccer Pod, send in your thoughts, your comments, your questions. At... Justin Sosa, 99, at Jake Wachoba, at Steven Jodderand. Great show. Lots of MLS. Let us know what your thoughts are regarding COVID, quarterfinals, dark horses. Might as well be every club there is. The favorite, LAFC, Cinderella, Orlando City. You want to hear it all at at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Until next time. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure. For a minute. 
But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.